Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Hey, road to growth list- listeners. Today I have Les McEwen. He is the founder and CEO of predictable success. You see how I did that, Les? I, I said your last name really, really quick, just so you wouldn't say anything. I got that, Vinny. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate you being here. So if you don't know Les, uh, he's basically built over 40-some businesses at the age of 35, and now he does consulting, coaching. He saw a pattern in what happens in those business, kind of built up. And one of the things that got my attention, just off your blog alone, was something that I'm probably really bad at is constantly saying yes and how yes, uh, I guess that was your last blog, could be ruin your business. Absolutely. Yeah. It, so one of the things that uh, I help people see is that um, we all uh, lead with one of four styles. There's a visionary leader, uh, which is probably what you are. Big picture, wants to take risks, but always looking for the new next thing shiny blue ball syndrome. We've got operator leaders, processor leaders, synergist leaders. But the thing about visionary leaders is everything is absolutely hugely important (laughs) until squirrel, right? You know, so it's not enough that they read a book and it's good. Everybody's got to read this book. It's going to absolutely revolutionize what squirrel, you know, have you seen that movie like Pixar's up with a little dog, dog? wants to be involved in everything, but he can't help himself. Every time he's a squirrel, he's up a tree. Well, visionary leaders have got a high squirrel factor. So when, you know, your, your business is going along real well, you've got an ace, you know, business model, you work your strategy out for the year, and then you go have dinner with somebody who just plants the seed in your head, and then you come in the next morning, you turn everything over and start all over again. And uh, it's it all the time. I, I've started to do over the years is if I, if I like an idea, if I get that shiny object, I put it in my calendar for a week or two weeks out right. and, and then go, okay, I still have that same, like, Oh, that's an exciting thing. All right. Then I'll go off into it, but I really have to put it at least a couple, a week or two out just to. Uh, because if it's it. valuable, it'll, it'll, it'll still work. Right. It's not going to yeah. stop being valuable a week from now. Oh, exactly. So you started uh, or were part of 40 so businesses at a young age. So when did your first business start or when did that entrepreneurial mindset start at a young age? When was that? Well, I I wasn't one of those, um, you know, you read or listen to these folks and they tell you they were, out, you know, buying and selling everybody when they were 13. I wasn't one of those, uh, but I was fascinated by business. And I don't know why I was like a weird kid, you know, all my friends wanted to be, you know, astronauts or firemen or something i just was fascinated by business and as it turned out i worked it out later i'm just fascinated by group dynamics and uh, you know just because of what i saw around me it was business so a really good mentor my very first mentor ever bless him a guy called jim johnson he said if you want to understand business go qualify either as an attorney or as a cpa or the british equivalent i was living in the uk where i was brought up born and brought up um, so I went off and qualified as a chartered accountant, which is the UK equivalent of a CPA. And right at that time, I had no interest in doing tax returns or any of that stuff. I just wanted to understand how numbers worked because I thought if I got that, I would understand the basis of business. And when I qualified, I got my, 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 put my shingle out, started up on my own. And right at that time, there was a huge, massive push uh, for entrepreneurship in the UK, basically because the UK was a 
it was really a branch economy of the US and South Korea of all places. So if Daewoo or LG or Ford took a cold, we would lose, you know, a factory would shut down in Leeds or Liverpool and would lose 15,000 jobs. So the UK government wanted to start new indigenous businesses and they pushed a huge amount of, uh, you know, loans and, and tax breaks into it. And people were setting up business all over the place. A long story short, I became a go-to guy in Northern Ireland where I was born and grew up to help people uh, you know, in the, at the start, just putting their business plans together, maybe finding them premises, you know, I was just helping them get started. And really quickly, folks started to ask me if I would be interested in not just advising them, but come along for the ride. So I'd become like interim CEO or sit on the board. And by the time I was 30, so I started that when I was about 22. By the time I was 35, I had, as you said, I'd been part of the launch of 42 uh, businesses, a couple of not-for-profits in there. Two of them failed spectacularly. Northern Ireland being a very small community, I learned as much from those two as I did from the other 41, the other 40. Um, but, you know, even a dumb Irishman, you do something that often, Vinny, you're going to start seeing repeating patterns. And I started to write them down and codify them. And that in due course became my life's work, which is uh, a business growth model I call predictable success. And it's really nothing more than actually the patterns of growth and success that I saw over and over and over again, not just then, but through the rest of my career. So for that first business that where, where someone asks you, hey, I want you to be a part of this journey, or at least people coming to you and asking you for feedback. I know you're the, C the CPA, so you're good at numbers, but the ideas where you're helping with ideas at a 22 year old. I mean, where did where were you getting the ideas or how, why were people giving you that value, I guess, in, hey, OK, let me listen to less. Uh, actually, it was because of a complete cultural fluke. Uh, and it's one of the reasons I'm here and I live in the U.S. I've been here 20 something years. I've got I'm a U.S. citizen. I've got a U.S. passport. Um, but back then in uh, so I lived in a, a city called Belfast, which uh, some of our listeners may remember was going through a massive civil war at the time. And um, Belfast is in Northern Ireland. It was part of a big dispute. And Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom. Now, the U.K. back then was pretty, you know, stuff up, stiff upper lip, old chap, you know, very conservative. It was small C, don't mean politically, just, you know, nobody ever uh, beat their own drum, you know, very quiet, all that sort of stuff. Now, you go to Belfast, you step back another 150 years. We would, were still getting off the buggy and, and whip and getting into automobiles. Um, it, so there were not, there just weren't people putting themselves out there. I was one of the very few, few accountants when I started in accounting back in, in Belfast, we actually were forbidden to advertise. It was not permitted. And then they changed the laws and they said, OK, we'll let you advertise in a very limited way. I look around, it's crickets. Nobody's doing this because, you know, we don't do that old chap. Well, screw that, if you'll forgive me. I, I just put myself out there. I didn't know really anything. And the folks that were kind enough to let me work stuff out on their dime, you know, I owe them a lot. Remember, I'm 187 years of age. This was way before the interwebs. There was no, you know, no Googling stuff. I couldn't go and get a chapter ahead of people. I had just to learn it on the go. And that's what I did. Uh, I started, it was a tool and die manufacturing business. It was my very first one. I remember you asked me that. And, you know, you couldn't start a tool and die manufacturing business in Western Europe. Now, the cost base wouldn't let you do it. But that was the very first one. And I just learned on the job. And I, I don't mean how to make uh, tools uh, and dies. I mean, learned how do you start a business? How do you grow it? What are the barriers to growth? You know, how do you get th through that first early struggle? 
and start to make some money. I just that's the stuff that really fascinated me. I mean, on a totally separate note, if anyone's listening right now and is trying to make a trip over to Ireland, go to Belfast. I, I've been to Dublin many times. Only five years ago, I went to Belfast for the first time, and it felt like a totally different world. So it even was behind like uh, um, Southern Ireland. So yeah. And then going back, that mentor that you had, you talked about that mentor kind of gave you feedback to go that direction. Who was that mentor to you at a young age? Uh, it was a guy, a guy called Jim Johnson. He's still alive. Um, uh, in his, I think he must be in his late 80s now. And uh, he took me in under, my, under his wing in so many ways. Uh, so I was uh, first met him when I was 14. And, you know, I was a pretty shy sort of a kid. I wasn't really getting involved in much. But the only thing I ever did, I went to my local sort of church stuff. Um, I wasn't good in crowds. I got embarrassed easily. And I just remember seeing this guy, uh, you know, uh, he was looking over at me a few times. He came over and said, look, I, I got a youth group we meet on Thursday nights. Uh, it was called the Cherry Valley Youth Group. I remember the name of it. Uh, you want to come along? And uh, he beckoned a couple of people over who were there. And, and I got involved. And I was actually involved and went on to run it. Uh, for many years. And Jim just stuck with me year in, year out. I owe him a lot. He was just a fine, fine man. Now, as you're, you're taking his advice, you're, you're helping out the first person with the business, I'm guessing the next person with the business, were most of the, the, the businesses that you're helped getting going in Belfast or did you, when did you leave Belfast to actually come to the U.S.? So what, what happened was um, I did that. Uh, that was sort of my thing. I, I, I had my firm. It was theoretically uh, an accounting firm, but it was really just a consulting uh, firm where I, where I was doing these uh, new venture starts on the side. And um, fast forward to my early 30s. So this is 19, late 80s, that long ago. Um, a guy, another serial entrepreneur, we didn't have that, we didn't use that phrase back, back then, but uh, this is what we call them now. Another guy called Will McKee, now sadly deceased, uh, called me up, he said, uh, I've got a proposal for you. Uh, a branch of the UK government wants to pay me to teach other people how to launch new businesses. It's what we would now call a, an incubation unit. Again, we didn't have that word. Um, this is way too big for me to do my own, you want in. And we went 50-50. And for a year, we ran an incubation program in West Belfast, one of the highest unemployment places in Europe, uh, also right in the heart of our civil war. It was a little terrifying. And we brought people in two nights a week, Thursday and uh, Tuesday and Thursday, uh, people who were employed elsewhere but who wanted to launch their own business. We helped them validate their idea. We put them together in teams because we discovered research that said that the, the, your chance of success more than doubled if there were two of you as opposed to just one of you. And then... Uh, uh, up to three and four people, it still improved. Um, and then we had like a Shark Tank thing at the end. We thought we invented this. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we got our folks to put presentations together to the local banks and see if they can get, we can get them some funding. So we did all of that. It was an out of the park success. It just went crazy, crazy, crazy. It was really good. And the next year, so we got renewed like a TV show. Uh, we got ready to do, do it the next year. And we start to see these people lined up in the back of the class who weren't our students. And uh, so we were being paid by a local economic development agency and paid very well to do this. And what we learned from them was these were representatives of other economic development agencies from all over the world. Well, you tell two entrepreneurs that and you're gonna think there's something here. Well, again, fast forward another, let's say eight years, my 
uh, then partner Will and I had built a consulting company that was worldwide, it was global. We had 13 offices, uh, we had 110 people or so, and we were looking with, working with local economic development agencies all over the world, helping them, first of all, launch new businesses, because every local economic agency wants more local indigenous business, uh, it increases the tax base, of course. Uh, so we were, by that stage, not just helping uh, launch businesses, we were also helping local businesses get to what I now discovered was second and third stage growth. Just get, you know, to move from being mom and pop to being a fully adult mature business. And so the patterns that I'd seen in the early startup stage began to be supplemented by another series of patterns, which I realized were intimately connected. Long story short, I work at that for a number of years. I'm, I've got half of this model of a life cycle that every successful business goes through. It would get to 1990, I really am old. And I'm confident that this model holds out whatever size of organization you look at. So that was one of the reasons why in 1999, I moved to the US full-time. I went to the West Coast initially, the Bay Area, up north of you. And um, I did that because I had a specific, there was one individual, another fine mentor of mine, um, Chris Fredrickson, who had the, gave me the opportunity to go work with, look at, uh, audit, if you will, uh, organizations that had been very successful for a very long period of time. So at that point, there were people like Microsoft, Sun Microsystems, American Express, T-Mobile, U.S. Army, Harvard University. And I got to sit and work with those organizations. And I realized that the model that I had developed seamlessly worked its way through right from soup to nuts, from birth to death. And I codified all of that, turned it into a book called Predictable Success. And since then, that's all I do. I teach uh, leadership teams, founders, uh, how to work their way up that life cycle to the peak state, which I call predictable success. What differences would you, you see in, I guess, American-based companies or Western-based companies compared to uh, companies when you first started getting going in the consulting uh, in Belfast. I mean, being that not a lot of entrepreneurship, you probably have loyal employees that want to stay with you for life compared to maybe a more entrepreneur-based country that they might be trying to leave. So what kind of differences, I guess, and similarities did you see? Um, what I tried to do with the model um, was, uh, and one of the things that was very helpful to me, it's a very insightful question, by the way, was to extrapolate, to pull out the stuff that's common to any organization, any group of two or more people trying to achieve common goals is how I now define it these days. Because incidentally, when I published the book, it was only then that because people started to tell me that they were using the book in their church, in their NGO, in their charity, that this wasn't just business that this applied anywhere. So what I see in uh, you know global distinctions or our cultural distinctions, the core, everything, I, I, I worked really hard to make sure this was the case. Everything that's in not just this book, but all four books in my series uh, applies culturally anywhere. Now, the extent to which they get emphasized, I'll give you an example. So what happens with every successful business is it starts with that person we talked about a while back, a visionary owner. You need a visionary founder to get started. So somebody's going to take risks because 80% of all new ventures fail. 
um, somebody who's got a big picture, because if you don't have a vision, without, as the good book says, without a vision, the people will perish. And without a vision, your business will perish too. Uh, so we've got a visionary owner. Now, what happens is those, those visionaries, whether they know the terminology I use or not, they know them, themselves well enough to know that while they can grind out the detail, if they have to, they don't like it. They'd rather be thinking big picture. So they team up almost immediately, as soon as they can afford it, with what I call the operator. Now, an operator is just a ruthless finisher. They just get stuff done. They go through breeze block walls. They, you give them a, you, uh, tell them to do something. Before you finish the sentence, they're doing it. It's rarely pretty, but it, it, it happens. And, uh, and the way a small business grows is you have a visionary coordinating a little mini orchestra of operators. So here's Vinny's my salesperson. Here's Georgiana. She's running admin. Here's Jose. He's putting the installation in. And so you've got the series of operators and the visionary sort of, you know, mm -hmm. conducting the orchestra. The biggest single challenge that happens with every business as it's growing is that is the recipe for growth initially. When you hit a stage that I call whitewater, that's the stage of growth where the complexity that comes from your growth begins to overwhelm the visionary and operator's ability to just say yes to everything, which we were talking about, and then tap dance and make it happen. Because that's how we grow in the early days, right? We just say yes to everything. Anytime the customer asks us, we do it. And we work like crazy, paddle like fury, and we sort of get over the, the line. At some point, we hit this stage called whitewater. And at that stage, we've got to bring in a third style, which is a style called the processor style. And that's going to be a bookkeeper or an HR person or, you know, a chemist or legal, just wherever we're screwing up, we need somebody who's going to bring systems and processes. Now, culturally, that's a much bigger road bump in, say, the U.S. than it would be in Asia, where the processor role is more accepted and valued, whereas back in the U.K., it's changed since I lived there permanently, but back in the UK, our problem was we didn't we didn't let people be visionary enough. That was seen as sort of you know hold your nose. That's a little too, you know mm -hmm. really the word entrepreneur when I first started was a bad word back in the UK. Um, so those sort of cultural things pop up, Vinny, but the underlying principles are all the same. I think you said it. And I might have misunderstood. You were talking about it originally that. As a business is starting, the more partnerships or people in, in integral in that business, the higher likelihood that it succeeds. Did I, did I get that right? Within a very narrow band. So um, you're far better with two people, way far better having two people than one. Okay. You get a little bit of a kick if there's three of you, and then it begins to fall off after that. But essentially, team, small team founded businesses have a higher percentage chance of getting through uh, the early stage, which I call early struggle, than just one person on their own. Now, uh, solopreneurs can do it. Obviously, we see it all the time, but it's just harder for them. And I'll tell you why that is. If you have a team of two, they're almost always that visionary operator combo. They may never have thought about it that way. But it's very hard for two uh, dominant visionaries to start a, a business together because, you know, they both got a vision for what they want to do. And it's different, you know. So it's typically a visionary and an operator. 
And that's the perfect combo to really accelerate out of the early struggle phase. What happens with the solopreneur, and many of our listeners will have seen it, is they start a new venture because, and again, they don't know this terminology to start with. It's just they internalize uh, this and they, they, they realize it implicitly because they can do both those things. They, they are a visionary operator. And so they think, well, I can make this happen. I can think up the big, I go up the mountainside, i.e. sit with my coffee on a Saturday morning and draw my, my vision statement, get my mission, vision and values, build up a strategic plan. And I go, I'll go make it happen. But what happens is, if you are the one who can be both the visionary or the operator, you get stuck in something that I call the artisan trap. And the way the artisan trap is, works is this. I'm the visionary and I'm going to sell, you know, I just moved out of D.C., so this would have been legal. Let's say I'm going to sell marijuana-infused uh, uh, sparkling water. I work as a visionary like crazy to get some sales because I need sales to, you know, I need revenue, so I've got to get some customers. So I work like crazy to sell, 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 which is a V, a visionary thing in an early struggle because nobody knows you, uh, so you've got, to, uh, you, you've got to front up. So I go out, put my visionary hat on, and I, I, I run the, you know, I wrap on doors, do all that stuff, and sell. Now I, I got to deliver. I move into operator mode. So I'm buying boxes and labels and sticking stuff on, filling my glasses, and operator, operator, operator. Whew, get that out the door. And then I'll look around and I think, I don't have any income. <laughs> I better go out and sell. And so you start your visionary, sell deliver, sell, deliver, sell, deliver. And you end up going around in this constant circle and it's, it's not getting any bigger. might be growing a little bit, but only just. And so for you to get out of early struggle, you've really got to break those two roles and you've got to have the visionary and the operator working hand in hand. And most, go all the way back to your question, most founding teams of two, it's a visionary operator. Well, going back to, to you, because there was a couple different partnerships that, that you started out with, right? Um, were you the visionary or the operator in those scenarios? It's a, that's a, a fascinating question and I've thought about it many times. So I have long since <clears throat> worked out how this all happens and the interplay of stuff. And by the way, if any uh, of the folks in the line really want to, you can just go to synergistquiz.com, synergistquiz.com, all one word. And um, you can take a little test it's free and it'll tell you your mix of because uh, i'm talking as if we're just one or the other but mm -hmm. most of us have a have a primary uh, style and a secondary style so primary style is what you lead with secondary style is what you can go into if you want i am like many consultants very rare in in uh, normal terms but many consultants like me are vps i'm a visionary processor primarily mm -hmm. like to be a visionary but why i'm a consultant is i like systematizing what i see you know, hence all this talk about codification and models and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I was typically playing one or, or other of those roles. When I had my CPA hat on, I was very much the P. So, but that's my secondary style. It's less satisfying to me than when I get to be the visionary, which is why I wanted to be involved. So that's what that's what mostly what I was doing. I was acting. I didn't have these terms back then at all, but I was essentially acting as their interim visionary while they got their Bambi legs together. I wasn't taking over their vision, but I was helping them just keep going long enough to begin to get the momentum they needed to be successful. But the other thing that I have to be honest about is, of course, when I started this, I didn't know any of this. So I learned most of it by trial and error. And I, you know, I, I just, 
you know, it's Malcolm Gladwell's thing about 10,000 hours. You just do something over and over and over. I, somebody asked me today, what's the one thing that uh, you wish you'd known back when you got started? And I gave it some thought. I didn't, I didn't give a glib answer. I thought very long and hard and I discarded a couple of things. And what, what I ended up telling them was, that repetition is the only way to true mastery is you just do something over and over. It doesn't matter whether you're a tennis player or, you know, a heart surgeon is just doing the thing over and over. And that's what I got the privilege of doing back then. Well, I'll add on to that. Something that I learned a while back, good practice. So if you do the technique of whatever you're doing bad, it's going to take a lifetime to get rid of that, that second nature. Um, now, I know. So you help people build these businesses. You build a couple of yours. Yet the the idea behind most of these business is helping other put their dream together, right? As you were building these businesses, did you? I know you had the plan of helping people on a mass scale. Yet did you partner up over the years in the last 15, 20, or after the age of thirty five? Did you stop? truly partnering up with people in building their, their business from uh, start to finish or start to, yeah. Yeah, I stopped partnering up um, for one reason, which was I can either build a business or an organization myself, or I can help other people do it. I discovered that for me, I, I just can't do both. Mm. And so one outworking of that is that, you know, I'm resolutely a, a one-man band. Uh, I've got one assistant, but he's got no opposable thumbs, snores a lot, and needs to be fed twice a day and walked. Um, and uh, I found, uh, uh, I think it's three occasions now, as I've told him a number of times, I'm a very old man, uh, on at least three occasions, I have looked around and realized, I mean, literally woken up, looked at my schedule, and realized, I've got 10 people here. How did that happen and I'm in hiring interviews all afternoon to hire three more I don't want that that's not what I want to do I want to be able to just help other people not to attend I don't want to work in my business I want to help other people work on their business so I've made that decision I, I can do one or the other now what I do have is a real heart I know that the predictable success model it's it's career changing, business changing, life changing, whatever you want. I've I've privileged enough to been doing this long enough that I literally get, you know, it's usually an email every single week from somebody telling me what a difference the predictable success model has made. I do know that it's something that uh, I want to have be, for it to be able to have as wide an impact as possible. So uh, what I worked out a while back is I don't want to build. I don't want to build a McKinsey. I don't want to build a Bain and Company. I don't want to build a big consulting company. Uh, so I've got a wonderful team of licensed practitioners. They're called Scale Architects, and uh, I teamed up with a wonderful young man, a guy called Scott Ritzheimer. And Scott teaches uh, uh, consultants on our model, and they then work with other people. So the scaling of the model happens, but I'm not the one that's doing it. So everybody's happy. <sighs> Was there any, and it, I mean, I, I wouldn't think so, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll ask this question. Was there any transition of taking a step back of advising people compared to telling people? Because when you have your own business, you're basically almost running the show. You got to do this to that. And now when you're looking from the outside in, 
you're saying, hey, have you thought about this idea? Was this idea? Was there any kind of transition for yourself, kind of pulling the reins back a little bit? Yeah, I, I mean, again, that's a, an insightful uh, question, Vinny. Here's uh, how it, it happened uh, for me. Um, but I, I'm not a big fan of uh, academic business authors. In fact, I'm not a big fan of business books in general. Um, but uh, there are a couple uh, of folks that I really think have got, they're, they've really got their head wrapped around um business dynamics and I was reading one book and I just read this one sentence it said that all great leaders know how to go to the balcony and what the author meant by this was every time you're in any a non-trivial situation in business of any sort a good leader has the ability to sort of get up onto the balcony and look down and see the patterns of what's happening not just be involved in the heat of the thing itself. Of course, you know, if somebody walks in and there's a major problem with the biggest customer, you've got to solve the thing, the heat of the pattern, uh, the heat of the uh, issue. But all great leaders have also got the ability to sort of go to the balcony to look down and see, well, how do we get here? What do we need to do? What's this tell me about this person, not just the issue, all that stuff. And when I read that sentence, I realized that I enjoy being on the balcony more than on the dance floor. That, that seeing the patterns that floats my boat, that's what I enjoy because that's transferable and I can go share that with somebody else. So I could turn up every day, solve the problem, the problems that were in my business every day, you know, my tool and die manufacturing company or my graphic design company, or I had the, I owned the master license for Pizza Hut in Ireland. So I could turn up every day and make pizzas and that was all fine. But what I enjoyed much more was getting off the dance floor up to the balcony. And I did make a conscious decision that I wanted to be a coach consultant. I wanted to spend my time helping other people. And I, and part of it was just being blessed to have the longevity of, you know, a good 20 years doing it. You know, I wasn't wanting to go do this on the hope and a prayer by this stage. You know, I, I knew my stuff. Uh, what I didn't know was how to turn it into coaching and consulting. That was a whole new learning experience for me as well. Uh, and that was fun too. But you're right. that there, there was a point at which I said, this is what I want to do. Talking about, I mean, um, the transition from where you were to, to where you are today. If we're talking, let's say in five years from now, who is who are you going to be? Who's your company going to be? What do you plan to be doing? You know, I, I, I'm really really fortunate i'm blessed but I, if i'm doing the same that i'm doing now i'll be really happy i uh, what i do enjoy and i I'd like to see it continue is you know the roster of my clients gets deeper and richer i'm in a great position where you know i i i, I don't work with jerks I, I i'm very selective about who it is that i work with i get to work with wonderful wonderful people and i've had some amazing clients just amazing and if i just get get to keep doing that and my 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 response it would be uh one in the negative uh which is to reaffirm what i said a moment ago which is if i can uh uh picture myself five years from now very happy uh it's that i'm still just a one person band in charge of my own schedule doing my own thing on my own time with the clients that i love to work with is there, and I'll, I'll finish off with this question. I appreciate you, you being here, Les. I'll finish off with this question. If you could look back at your younger self, that one that was uh, uh, the CPA or 
just got his license. Is there any kind of feedback, advice you would give to that young kid? Yeah, don't get frustrated and change tack, hmm. which I didn't. Thank goodness. But not because I was clever back then. It was just a trick of something that the one thing I'm reaping right now is whatever the career or life uh, equivalent of compound interest is. I just did, I've so, I, I have so many friends who they've just done this thing and then they tried that thing and then they tried the next thing. And they're brilliant people, probably very much cleverer than me. But it's sort of like they plant something and then they rip it up to see if it's growing the next day and stick it back in the dirt again. And then if that's not working, we'll move on to something else. Because of a whole slew of circumstances, a few of which were under my control, um, I ended up not doing that. And if I was to, to meet myself back then, because I remember being, you know, thinking, uh, I think I'd love to actually go back and train as an attorney. I always had a notion in my head I wanted to be an attorney. And I had chosen the CPI route. I thought about going back and being an attorney. I thought about doing this. I thought about doing that. I want to be a travel writer at one point. I wanted to be a journalist at one point. And for various reasons, I didn't do it. And if I was to go back to myself, I just whispered in my ear, don't get frustrated. You're doing absolutely the right thing because you're going to end up having mastery over something. And that's a nice position to be in. Yeah, I think I think a lot of us we we sometimes forget about that faith in who we are, what we're planning on doing, who we're going to be in the next, I mean, five, ten, fifteen years, whatever. So, yeah, I appreciate you, Les, for being here. Thank you for your transparency. Thank you for honesty. If you're listening right now, go look in the show notes. You'll see all Les's information. At least take the quiz. I know as soon as we get off this, I'm going to take the quiz. I'm very curious where I lie. So I appreciate you, Les. Uh, please subscribe. Please share. And tell your Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.